Turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, let me open us in prayer. Father, thank you so much uh, for this day and for these guys, and uh, just uh, the opportunity to come in and laugh, and um, just uh, as, as we journey through your word, as we uh, share together what's going on in life and uh, uh, circumstance, I pray that as we uh, look at your son, God, and, and even look at the early church and uh, how they... Um, uh, how they dealt with um, just uh, uh, obstacles and, and oppressors and uh, those who attacked them and ultimately our, our final example, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would, um, we would in fact, uh, understand uh, that, uh, that we have a model and an example and a calling uh, that we are to follow uh, should, we, uh, should we suffer, uh, should we be attacked. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What I thought I would do today, uh, Coney and Jeff, is, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot going on right now, and, and y'all have touched, uh, uh, touched base on it. You, you've got Kavanaugh, uh, which I don't know who Brett Kavanaugh is. I, I don't. I've, I've read a lot about him. Seems like a really nice guy. Uh, everybody I've heard uh, uh, has said good things about him. Uh, even on both sides of the aisle, people say good things about him. But then all of a sudden he got attacked. Uh, just kind of out of left field, uh, this uh, thing that supposedly happened back when he was in high school uh, that, um, that just comes out of left field. Now, we don't know whether it's true or whether it's not true, uh, but I, I will restate most of us probably don't want things that we perhaps did when we were 17 or 16 or 18 or 19 or 20 or, for me, all the way up till I was 27. Uh, I don't want them talked about much. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, uh, we understand that uh, what's going on uh, uh, just yesterday. Uh, Trump said that he is going to uh, declassify uh, all of the information related to the FISA warrants and stuff like that that has been going on. And, uh, man, you got all this uh, political uh, hoopla going on. You've got haters on both sides of the aisles. You have attackers and counterattackers. And uh, the reality of it is uh, we're always going to have haters. I mean, that's... Uh, uh, that's the reality of, of who we are and, and, and what we're about. And I just sent, um, I've over the years, just, just talked with many in our, uh, in our staff because there are times, uh, anytime you lead, you are going to have people that don't like your leadership. Anytime you, uh, you choose to be a leader, it's going to bring you in conflict with somebody. And the stronger leader you are, the bigger group that you lead, uh, the more likely someone's not going to like the way you do it. And so it's not uncommon that uh, I or Justin or others would sit down with uh, some of the young people on our staff and say they come into conflict with someone they're trying to lead, they're trying to do the best thing, but someone all of a sudden is attacking them for a decision they make. And, you know, that's, that's the truth and reality. If you are a decision maker, uh, as best you can, and I will tell you as a pastor, as a staff, um, we do our very best. Uh, to make the best possible decisions uh, that we can. Sometimes a decision that we make, we can find right there in Scripture. Scripture says, do this, don't do that. It's a done deal. That's the way we operate. There are other times, as it relates to ministry, uh, that we make decisions here uh, that we know and we think and we feel like they're in the best interest of 95% of our people. Does that make sense? Dave, when he's in children's ministry, he can make some decisions related to children's ministry, uh, whether it's camp or whether it's how you do Sunday mornings, that, that the decisions that Dave makes uh, for children might be good for 95% of the kids, but they're always going to be that 
that it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't fit their program. It doesn't fit their personality. It doesn't fit their. Does that make sense? They're always going and and then people are going to come against them. Same thing with Chase in student ministry. He can make great decisions that are good for ninety five percent of the students. Uh, but there's always going to be 5%. It doesn't fit their program. It doesn't fit their personality. It doesn't fit their, their family. And sometimes people just uh, move on. Sometimes they come against you hard. Same thing with Justin in our adult ministry and decisions re- we make um, in worship or music or whatever. Uh, music's usually a, a lot less than 95%. Uh, any song you, uh, you, uh, you choose in, in worship, it seems like 50% of the people are going to love it, 50% of the people are going to hate it. Uh, but there's there's always going to be a sense if um, if you are a leader, whether it's at your at your company, uh, or whether it's at church, or whether it's uh, in a neighborhood or in some club, you're always going to have uh, people uh, who don't like you. And uh, boy, we can sure see that manifest. If if, if I think of anything. Uh, in our country right now, and the most recent Gallup poll came out that um, uh, back in, all the way back in 2009, the number one worry and concern in 2009 uh, by 68% of Americans was, guess what, the economy. The most recent survey, down to 12%. 12% of Americans are worried about the economy. Uh, now, that means other things have gone up, right? Uh, there are always things related to uh, uh, economy, um, government leadership, uh, uh, race relations, immigration, all of those things. And, and, and over the years, they switch and they change. You know, back in 2009, economy was the big deal. Now the economy is not the big deal. It's something else. And then if you look at what's going on, and probably all of us, um, if you look around, man, I, I do wish uh, that, um, that we could just calm things down in Washington. I just, I really do. I don't think it's good for our country for this uh, kind of attitude to uh, to come about. I'll just tell you my perspective. I've shared this uh, uh, about uh, previous presidents over the years. We have had presidents already in my young lifetime. We've had presidents that I didn't vote for, presidents that I did vote for. There are there have been presidents that I didn't vote for that they've done some things that I like. There have been presidents that I uh, did vote for that they've done some things I don't like. How many of you understand? That's the price of leadership. Um, There are some uh, things going on right now. For all the good that is going on, uh, there is a lot I would like to change just about just about the way Trump goes about his business. You know what I'm saying? There's a how many of you would agree with that? Even if you voted for him, okay. So here you're looking at that. So last week I uh, I came across an article. That, uh, as I've shared, and, and Justin, Justin got this email because I sent it to our, our, our staff and our leadership, and I've always tried to be an example uh, for our young staff of how you handle opposition. And uh, there, there are times that they'll come in and say, man, I just have so-and-so in my ministry that, man, they're just bombing me. And I've done nothing but love on them and care about them, but they're just bombing me. And I'm like, you know, that's the price of leadership, but let me tell you how you handle it, okay? And uh, for all the times I've dropped little tidbits, uh, all of a sudden an article came out last week that, uh, that talked about the seven ways to deal with your haters. 
And, and I, I did, Justin will tell you, I just forwarded it to our staff. I said, guys, in different situations, in different settings, you've heard me see, say these seven things. But as I pastor the church, and I'm not in a leadership development organization, uh, I've never sat down and listed out these seven ways that I handle my haters, but they couldn't be any more perfect. So I sent them out. Let me give you the seven. And, and, and you can write these down and uh, uh, seven ways to handle your haters. By the way, and this is before we go to 1 Peter chapter 2, um, seven ways to respond to your hater. Number one, don't take your haters so personal. Don't take your haters so personal. A lot of times when we make a decision as leaders, and I can tell you as a pastor, uh, that we make a decision to do this or to do that, and someone doesn't like it, and they begin to talk about it, or they begin to complain about the decision we made, the natural thing is for me to take that personal, when what they don't like is the decision. Does that make sense? And if you take everything personal, then guess what? You're going to end up responding personally. And so you have then made it personal. And so you want to always make sure that when someone attacks you or attacks your leadership or attacks a decision that you made, that you don't always take it personal. And then after not taking it personal, don't make it personal. Don't turn around and say, well, you know what? They're just complainers. Now, let me tell you what. There are some people that are just complainers. I want you to know that. I have learned that about the church. I have learned that it doesn't matter. Some people, it doesn't matter how much you love them, how much you care about them, how much you visit them in the hospital. Sometimes you're visiting them in the hospital with the hope they won't ever get out. Uh, and uh, it's before 7. So, uh, you know, there, there, that's, I, there have been people, I will tell you, there have been people in my ministry over the years that I wonder, why are you still here? You seem to hate my guts. And what it is, is they just have a tendency to complain about a lot of decisions that are made. And, and the truth is, I will promise you, as a staff, we have to make, there will be many decisions we have to make today related to next Easter, related to next March, related to the new year. Does that make sense? Related to Christmas. How many Christmas Eve services are we going to have? Guess what? We sit in this room as senior staff. Justin's back there smiling. We're always like, okay, what do we do this? And then you get, look, this year, uh, Christmas Eve, Eve is on a Sunday. So Christmas Eve is on a Monday. And you're like, okay, would people want to do Christmas Eve services on a Sunday and get Monday off and not? And then so we say, okay, we're going to do some of our Christmas Eve services on Sunday night. Then we'll do some of them on Monday, which is actually Christmas Eve. And then so we kind of get comfortable with that decision. And then someone says, you know, I think people want to go to church on Sunday like a normal service. They're not going to get their kids in for Christmas Eve Eve. And so you're making decisions. Guess what? I'm not going to tell you what we did because I want you to be mad about it later. Um, <laughs> But I will tell you, we came down, and we're sitting there battling through those kind of decisions, and we think we've made the best decision, all right? But somebody, as soon as we publish our Christmas Eve schedule, they're going to be mad because guess what? Their, their family and kids and grandkids are coming in from Alaska, and it doesn't fit their plan, all right? And they're going to bring it up in their life group, you know, and that's going to happen. But thought number one is this. Don't take your, per, your haters so personal. A lot of times, uh, they're attacking a decision, all right? So that's when it's really important that you have good reasons that you made your decision. Here's number two. You ready? 
Don't hide from your haters. Don't hide from them. And this is something, and Justin's heard me preach this, especially to my young staff over and over and over again. Don't hide from your haters. This has always been, and and my staff has heard me say this over and over again. If someone doesn't like me, if they're going to shoot me, they're going to do it looking into the whites of my eyes. They're going to do it looking into the whites of my eyes. Now, I'm going to have a smile on my face. I'm going to explain my decision. But I, one, of the, one of the common things, especially for young staff, if, I, if, if, you are, if you're the wise leaders in the church, and let's say that I bring some 25 or 26 or 27-year-old young guy or young gal in here on the staff, and she makes a decision, and she hears or he hears you complaining about it, guess what? They immediately think you have way more authority than they do. And what's, what they're prone to do is go hide. They don't want to be around you. Does that make sense? And guess what? The more you walk away from your haters, the more Satan can fill their head with lies about you. And so the best thing they can do is go and say, hey, Eric, I hear that you're struggling with this decision we made with youth ministry. And we had one of these, by the way, as we're transitioning our youth ministry. It wasn't Eric, by the way. I'm, I'm not throwing Eric under the... Uh, we're transitioning our youth into the chapel. Okay, and and it's a different dynamic of how we're going to do youth ministry in the chapel than we did in the gym. Okay, and so our our student leaders made a decision and said, "Hey, here's how we're going to use our leaders, our volunteer leaders." After this, they sent out an email, uh, and then immediately got some pushback. All right, and I said, "Boy, I wish you'd have talked to me before you sent that email because I could have told you that was coming, and you could have made a few phone calls to inoculate some people uh, on how this was going." And so one of the conversations we had, I said, listen, you need to go right to those people. Tell them why you made the decision and see if there's a compromise. Sometimes there is a compromise. But if someone hates you, don't separate them. Rate yourself from them. Man, don't distance yourself because, especially in a church setting, if all of a sudden, you know, Eric hears that Doug said something about him or Doug hears that Eric says something, the natural thing for them to do is to separate themselves. Well, guess what? That makes it worse not better. What they should both do is come to each other and look into each other's eye to eye and say, hey, man, I heard that you're wanting to do this or you're wanting to do that. Man, don't separate yourself. Don't hide from your haters. Here's number three. You ready? Don't become a hater. Don't become a hater. That's a natural thing. Man, if someone's attacking you, what's your natural knee-jerk response? Return the favor right? Return the favor. I will tell you that right there, as much as anything else, has destroyed churches. When a pastor gets attacked or a leader gets attacked, they return the favor by going to some of their friends and attacking the other person. Here is what I have learned about church people. Whatever you say, they are going to tell someone else. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? And I've had that conversation with, um, with one of our staff members just recently. That they went out and had a cup of coffee with someone. That person told them what someone said about them. They kind of responded in relationship to that person's leadership. And guess what? That person found out what they said. 
And they said, what should I do? I said, well, you should have done what you should have done. You should do what you should have done to begin with. You should go straight to them and start with an apology and say, listen, I reacted. I didn't respond. And so here's what you want to be sure. Don't become a hater. Because I'll tell you what, uh, if you go through life becoming a hater, it doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. We see that right now in the White House that instead of trying to calm things down, he, he's a fighter. Now, you got to tell you what, if you want to read, there's one thing to respect. He doesn't care who his friends are. And so there is something impressive about that, but there's also something kind of depressive about it too, right? Uh, I mean, he, he flat out uh, will, will lay it out and go, but don't become a hater. Man, don't turn around and be who you don't like. Here's number four. You ready? Outlast your haters. Outlast them. Just hang in there. You know, hang in there. The, the, uh, the worst thing you could do when you find a little opposition is quit all the time. You hang in there and outlast them. And, and that, that may be one of my greatest strengths right there is that I'm just not willing to quit. I may not be great, but uh, the one thing I am great at is not quitting. And I have found over the years when it says outlast them, uh, there have been people going all the way back from day one over there that I'm like, man, you know, I've never, I've never done anything to you, but you seem to hate everything I do. And you seem to hate my guts. And I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be consistent, and I'm going to make a decision, and I'm going to follow through, and I'm going to last. So just be there. Because if, um, if, if as soon as you... Um, encounter opposition at the office or wherever you are, if, if you tuck tail and run, guess what? You just proved you weren't that committed to begin with. And so outlast your haters. Man, just show them that what they're saying about you isn't true. Here's number five. You ready? Learn from your haters. This is the hardest thing to do. Learn from your haters. Guys, we've got to be learners. If we are going to be good leaders, we have got to be learners. And I want you to know, here's the hardest thing everybody in this room will ever have to deal with. Your haters probably have a point. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? They may present their point well. They may blow it up and make it a bigger issue than other people think. So, they can, so other people can see it. But a lot of times where your haters hate, 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 it might be a weakness. It might be a mistake that you made. And we found over the years that we've, we've developed, hopefully after 23 and a half years, we've developed a lot of trust within our congregation that you've got, you know, Justin handles uh, the education and, man, he's a sharp guy and Scott handles the finances and all of the facilities and stuff like that. And after 23 some odd, some odd years, our team has developed trust. All of our audits come back totally right, all right, totally right. But we also know there are going to be some people that always walk in with very little knowledge and they immediately begin to tack things. They immediately, because they think they know more than everybody else. Here's a reality. Sometimes they're just haters, and sometimes they discovered a point, a potential weakness. Does that make sense? And that we need to step back and say, do they have a point? Not just simply, are they a hater? And sometimes, sadly, we have to acknowledge that, you know what? 
they did point out a flaw. They did point out a weakness. It was a blind spot for us. And so we need to understand if we are going to lead, that sometimes our haters have a point. And so acknowledge that. You know, it's sometimes, sometimes it's our wives. She may not be a hater, but when she na- anybody ever, your wife nags about something and nags about something and you respond or react to her and then you walk away going, you know, it's really not that hard to pick my underwear up. <laughs> She's got a point, right? She's got a point. Uh, here's, here's another one, number six. Forgive your haters for your sake. Forgive your haters for your sake. If you walk around bitter and angry and you've got this vitriol, vile heartburn against someone who has attacked you, who are you hurting? You're hurting you. You're hurting, and and you're hurting those people you love and that love you. And and I will tell you, you heard me share on Sunday morning uh, that, um, you know, in the midst of after after my brother uh, committed suicide, and and man, it just, man, all of a sudden, if y'all didn't know this, I built a worship center. I'm not the one that killed the economy. Okay, that was somebody else that did that. Uh, But, man, our people were going bankrupt. Finances were tough at the church. I had people people that were on the stewardship, the building, and the design team for us to build the worship center who all of a sudden, when we got in big trouble, after we'd been in there about 16 months, this is after my brother, who came up and said, I never wanted to do this to begin with. (laughs) No, I'm talking about deacons who were just stabbing me in the back, left and right. My buddy. And I'm like, dude, you were one of the three people that led the whole stewardship campaign. You went to life groups. You stood in front of the church. And all of a sudden, revisionist history, right? Revisionist history. And what you do is you begin to hate, man, and the vile. And guess what? I begin to take that bitterness and that anger, and I brought it back into my family. And I was mad at some folks out there, and I was mad at myself, but my wife and my kids were getting it. So forgive your haters for your own sake, all right? You got, got and for the f- sakes of your family, don't carry it around. Here's number seven. You ready? Don't dwell on them. Don't dwell on your haters. Man, you need to fix fixate your mind and and focus your heart and your mind on those things that are good, that are right, that are true. Sound like scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 to 10. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if there's anything excellent, I love that. I love the way Paul put that in there. It's like he put that in there for me. He goes, whatever is pure, lovely, right, and he goes, hey, dude, if there's anything good, focus on that. Just anything. I love that word, anything. There are times that I say, okay, I'm just going to find something. Man, don't dwell on your haters. Don't dwell on them. So there are seven things, man, how to respond to your haters. Don't take your haters personally. Don't hide from your haters. Don't become a hater. Outlast your haters. Learn from your haters. Forgive your haters for your own sake, and then don't dwell on them. So those are seven ideas, and those are good for us in life and good for us in practice, uh, good for us in leadership, whatever organization you're about. And so now let me give you the example of dealing with hate. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, and let me read it to you. 
in First Peter chapter two, as we um, as we think about responding uh, to suffering, and I think uh, I think we're going to experience more and more of this uh, in the days ahead. Let me pick it up and read in verse eighteen. Uh, this is what uh, Peter says, First Peter chapter two, verse eighteen. He says, "Slaves, uh, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, but not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because they are listen to this, because uh, uh, they are conscious of God." And so he says, listen, as we go through these seasons when uh, uh, we're being attacked, when uh, uh, we're being persecuted, when we're having to suffer harsh treatment or difficult treatment, he says, listen, if someone bears up under the pain of an unjust suffering, you do it because of conscience toward God, because of your conscience. Now, it's interesting if you look through God's Word, uh, and we're going to look at one example. We're going to look at Jesus' example. If you look through God's Word, uh, we have, when we are being attacked, when we're going through suffering, I think there are seasons in our life, there are seasons that we, we respond and seasons we just take it. There are seasons that we need to step in and take action and say, we're going to stop that. There are times that we just don't do anything. Now, we, you say, how do you make that decision? A lot of times that's between you and God. Uh, if you think about it, if you look, um, think of some Old Testament examples. Uh, Daniel, how many of you remember Daniel? Uh, Daniel uh, was brought into a new place in a new land. Uh, when they said, we're going to teach you a new language, we're going to teach you science, we're going to teach you education, we're going to teach you math, we're going to Daniel said yes to all of that. That was his conscience toward God. It's not going to hurt me to get smart, right? How many of you understand? But then when he said, but we're going to want you to eat all of this food, the king's food, he said no to that. Does that make sense? He said, he said yes to some. He said no to another. Where's that dividing line for you? I think between you and God, you all get to make that determination. I think there are times that we do. Uh, what about Daniel's friends? They apparently had gone along with Daniel all, uh, all through uh, uh, the book of Daniel, but then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, oh, uh, we're willing to do a lot. We're willing to serve in your kingdom. We're willing to make you, as an ungodly pagan king and ruler, we're willing to make you rich, but we won't bow down to your God. Does that make sense? They said yes to a lot of things. That's how they got so high up in the kingdom. But they said no to bowing down, and that's where we need to understand. There are times in our lives where conscience will dictate what you should do. Now, here's what you don't want to do, and this is how you you don't become a hater of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't take your decision of conscience and make it God's word for everybody else. I'm going to say this again. Don't take your decision of conscience and pretend it's God's word for everybody else. You say, Pastor, give me an example. Let's say, uh, let's take the issue of alcohol. What do we know that Scripture says? Do not get drunk with wine, okay? It also says that uh, there was a time that Paul said, hey, uh, Timothy, take a little wine for your frequent ailments. So uh, the more sickly you are, the more you can drink is the way I interpret that. So uh, too bad I've been healthy for far too long. I'm really waiting for a good sickness. Uh, But let's say, let's say, let's say that... uh, that your choice is, I'm never going to touch a drop of alcohol. 
I can stand with that in good conscience. I can stand with that. But don't make that everybody else's decision. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because if a guy wants to go out, if, if, if a fireman, I happen to remember it was his anniversary today, and um, after going by Walmart and buying, you know, some little, you know, marshmallow chocolate thing, uh, he goes over to the uh, uh, high-dollar wine rack that comes in a box or a bag uh, and buys some Ripple. Uh, and... <laughs> And uh, uh, you're not going out with your buddies, dude. You're going out with your wife, all right? Does that make sense? And all of a sudden, you see, you see him walking out. All of a sudden, your conscience is, I'm not going to touch a drop of alcohol, but he was walking out of Walmart with a bottle of wine because he's going to go home that night with a bottle of can- with, with a candle, and he's going to cook dinner for his wife, and they're going to have a glass of wine together. Does that make sense? I am taking a conscious decision that I've come to that feel like God has led me to, and I'm making it God's word for someone else. And the problem with that is the moment I see him drink, I, I probably will not go address him. What will I usually do? I'll go tell someone else. I'll go to others who share my conscience. So, guys, there are times in our lives. Now, let me go back to the New Testament. I'll give you more examples. There was a time when Paul took it. You remember in many of his, uh, in, of his letters to, uh, um, to his churches, he said, you know what, I'm not even going to address my haters. He says, man, just God will sort it out. There were other times that Paul says, I can't wait to see you face to face. How many of you understand what I'm saying? All right, there are times that we defend ourselves. There are times that we just let it go. And we've always got to be careful. Now, when it comes to dissension in the church and hatred in the church, in Matthew chapter 18, all right, everybody, everybody hold your finger there in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now go to Matthew chapter 18. Pick it up in verse 15. Now hold your finger there in 1 Peter chapter 2 because we're going to go back. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 and 18. And this is, this is talking about sin in the church, all right? This is dealing with sin in the church. Notice what it says. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, I'm in Matthew chapter 18, picking it up, about to be in uh, verse 16. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two brothers along with you, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay, now, if there is a true dissension, now notice, here's what you need to understand. If your brother or sister sins, all right, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. Now, now notice, first of all, it says sins, plural, 
And there's even an inclination and an insinuation within there if they sin against you, all right? And, and the idea is, are they constantly sinning against you? If someone blows it once, okay, that is not when you start church discipline. If someone messes up once, it's when they continue to sin over and over again. Does that make sense? If someone drops the ball, if someone blows it, that's not when you start church discipline. How many of you say praise the Lord to that? Because it would take me about another three minutes to start church discipline on every every person in this room, right? It's if they're in a habit of constant and consistent sin that is going to hurt other believers and hurt the body of Christ. We don't want to go around, try to scoop up everybody and bop their sin out, okay? But if someone's constantly sinning, if someone's constantly slandering, if they're constantly uh, doing something to harm the body, does that, does that make sense? Uh, then you begin to start the process. Notice what it says. Then it says, after you've gone to them, just you and them, just say, hey, man, can, can I just tell you when you do this or when you say this or when you do that, man, it really kind of hurts all of us. Can, can you stop? And, 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 and it's not like you've just done it once. You've done it over and over again. Does that make sense? You've, you've done it. You do it every Sunday in, in class. You know, you do it every Sunday in class. Does that make sense? That's one of those things you need to address. If someone just has a bad day, let them have a bad day. But then notice what it says. It says, if they don't respond, then go to two or three people. I will tell you that most of the time when people come to us as a matter of church discipline, they have already blown the order. Does that make sense? They have yet to go to that individual. They have talked to multiple other people, and now they want me to go get them. All right? That's not church discipline. All right? So I want you to understand, if you are going to go after someone who might be a hater of you or a hater of someone else or a hater of the church, man, if you've heard it and you've seen it, it's your job to go and try to address it. And do it lovingly because what do you want more than anything? You want them to repent. Anytime we go to someone to address them about a sin, maybe they're a hater of you or a hater of someone you love, man, you want them to be restored. You don't want them to be rejected. And then after you've gone to two or three witnesses and all the facts have been established, then if they say, then you take it to the church. So if you are going to go to someone, make sure you do it in the proper order. First of all, make sure it wasn't a one-time event that they just blew it and screwed up. Make sure it's one that's going to be repeated. Make sure it's going to be one that affects the congregation, It's going to hurt the congregation, it'll hurt the large number. Then you go to them personally and privately for the purpose of redemption and restoration. Then what do you do? Then you take two or three. Then you go to the church. Now, jump back to 1 Peter chapter 2, all right? I want to show you uh, the example, all right? So uh, as we look at it and as we think about it, uh, I want to show you that Jesus is ultimately... Um, our perfect example. Pick it up, reading verse 20. All right, it says, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? 
But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is what is commendable before God. So, guys, if we are going to have haters, let us have haters for the good we do, not the bad we do. Does that make sense? If we are going to have haters, let them hate us for the good we do, not the bad we do. Because it doesn't benefit at all, us at all, if people hate us because of the bad things we do. Man, if, if, um, if people are going to attack me as the pastor, I want them to attack me because my decision didn't work out well for them. But I also am going to give them reasons I made the decision, reasons the staff made the decision. I don't want people to attack me because I'm just a horse's rear or because I don't love people or I'm just mean or I just like shooting people down. Man, that's, that's doing bad. They're attacking me for something that kind of almost needs to be attacked for, right? So notice, that's the first thing if we are going to get attacked. Now let's look at our ultimate example. Verse 21, Peter says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Guys, in some measure, when we walk as salt and light, Peter is saying we are going to have haters. You say, where is that? He said, to this we were called. Man, if we were called by God to salvation, that means God wanted us saved, wanted us saved right? If we were called to suffering, kind of means that God wants us to prepare for suffering. Now, the beauty of our suffering is, first of all, let it be, doing, let it be for what good we do. And the second thing is, Notice we have an example. Look at what he says. Leaving you an example to follow. If you go look at that Greek word example, it means a model or a pattern. I remember as a young kid in uh, uh, kindergarten, and Miss, Miss Parton, that was my kindergarten teacher, Miss Parton, okay? And uh, Miss Parton used to give us these little uh, little pages uh, that the page they had A B C Ds on them, and you would take and you would lay a sheet of paper over the model A, and you would trace over the A. How many of you remember doing that? And C D, that is the exact word in Jewish school that Peter would have grown up with saying, just as you traced over the letters when you were in grade school, Jesus gave us the model in dealing with suffering, with dealing with our haters, with dealing with our opposition. So he says, we were called to this, and he left us an example that you should follow in his steps. So how did he suffer? First of all, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So number one, for Jesus, none of us are Jesus. He was perfect, all right? Everybody write down, if you're taking notes, say Jesus was perfect. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. Now, that is the one part of the perfect example that none of us can follow, all right, perfectly. However, 
as best I can if I want to have haters for the right reason. I want to make sure that as much as I can, there's no deceit found in my mouth that I am living as pure and as sinless a life, that I am living with the best bit of integrity and character that I have, that I'm never stealing and taking more than I should. Does that make sense? So here's model number one. If I'm going to suffer, I want to make sure as best I can that I commit no sin, that no deceit is found in my mouth. So Jesus was perfect in this way. I'm not. So as best I can, let your yes be yes and your no be no. As best as you can. Man, if you're in business, if you're in practice, if you're in this, if you're in that, that, man, you give people what they pay for. Now, the reality of it is sometimes people still aren't going to be happy, and you're still going to have haters. But if you walk away from every one of your jobs or every one of your gigs or everything that you did and say, you know what? I realize that didn't turn out well for them, but in general, I am always trying to do the right thing. If you can walk that way, when your haters show up, that's how you outlast them. And I will tell you, as your pastor, that's many times what has kept me going, is just simply the fact that in general, I've never made one decision in this church in 23 years. I've never made one decision in this church to intentionally hurt someone. And I can always walk with that. That didn't mean that a byproduct of a decision made means it wasn't good for a family and their kids and something like that. But that's never why. I will tell you, I have wanted to make a billion of those decisions (laughs) because it seemed like it'd be fun for the day. But the reality of it is, man, if you're going to have haters, don't give them evidence. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Don't give them the evidence. Don't give them justification for being your hater. You do the right thing. I'm kind of glad these FISA warrants are being uh, opened up. Man, I'm just like, let us see the facts. You know, if, if, if Trump, if you're a crook, let us know. You know, if you're just a knucklehead, we know, right? <laughs> all right? Here's the second thought, all right? Don't retaliate. Don't spend the rest of your life retaliating. I, I, love, I love what... Uh, Uh, what Jesus did, as you pick it up in verse 23, it says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to God who judges justly. Man, guys, life is too short for us to spend our time and our seasons in a bunch of spit fights. It's too short. Man, you just say, listen, I didn't make that decision to hurt you. I didn't mean for that to hurt you. If you messed up, you look them right in the eye and say, man, I'm sorry. No excuses. I'm sorry. I apologize for what I said. I apologize for what I did. I'm asking for your forgiveness. But I'm not going to stand here and fight with you the rest of my life. And, and a lot of times, what do we do? We want to retaliate. And so Jesus becomes our pattern, our model example. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. 
Man, I, I guarantee at the office or in business or in life or even in church, when someone lobs a bomb at you, whatever you do, do your best not to lob the bomb back because then everybody's got to take a side. Everybody's got to take a side. Then as you continue, notice as you read on, as you uh, uh, jump all the way down, pick it up in verse 24. Then it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we were healed. I love those words. And all of our failures and all of our mistakes were paid for on the cross. So, guys, wherever you are right now, you can't undo one thing you've said. You can't do undo one thing you've done. The reality, if you lead, people are going to hate. There's also a reality. There might be some haters out there that you need to go apologize to. Not for the purpose of sitting there and getting in a spit fight, but just to calm things down so you can journey on with God. And so listen, don't ever let your haters get you down. But as best you can from this point on, live like Jesus. As pure as you can. Apologizing when you need to. But then journeying on in the forgiveness and grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for these guys. I pray that as they go out to their businesses and their families and that they would lead and they would lead well. God, I pray that as best I can, as best we can, that we would live as sinless a life as possible, understanding that we're all frail and fragmented people. But God, as we journey through life, let us grow in grace and in love and in leadership. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You all have a good day, guys. See you all.